Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and I'm joined, as always, by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporter Mason Kern, and newcomers in our group, Trevor Booth and Jacob Rudner. Chris, you excited we have some new guys? Uh, it just means that uh, more intimidation tactics are, uh, are necessary. You guys are going to have to get ready for those. I think they're ready. They, we, we, we've, we've had these guys working in camp, excited to get going with the two newcomers. Everybody knows, I think, who's listening to our podcast for quite a while now, that we have people cycling in and out. Uh, these are you know, more Cronkite students. You guys are all at, at Cronkite. And uh, at the same time, like there's a certain... Uh, level of expectation because we have uh, we have good reporters that, that that do the job here. It's a high standard, boys, but you you just started to begin the process as a sorcerer. Trevor, how you feeling? Uh, I'm ready. I'm looking forward to this. Radner, what do you think? I'm excited and thoroughly intimidated. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, that is exactly what Chris wants. That's my goal. Um, and we got a brand new chapter kind of for Sun Devil Source right now with this group, ASU football, starting a brand new chapter. Obviously coming this next Thursday on August 29th when they take on Kent State. This is going to be a free season preview podcast, and we're just going to start with some of the biggest news coming to ASU football recently, and it's wide receiver Brandon Pierce transferring to ASU, a speedy junior college wideout with two seasons left of eligibility. Chris, what more can you tell us about Pierce and what he brings to this team? Well, I think people who have been following it know that ASU has some depth issues at wide receiver. John Humphrey transferring. Jordan Porter's got a hamstring injury that's going to keep him on the sidelines for at least the first game, probably two games, maybe more. Uh, ASU really had a couple true freshmen that are at the outside receiver positions in backup roles, Jordan Curley, Ricky Pearsall. I think Jordan Curley's uh, more ready to play right now. Ricky Pearsall is a guy that they would be best served to bring along a little bit more slowly, even though he's made some acrobatic, impressive catches out there. And the staff has been talking to Brandon Pierce for, for several months now. Uh, the reality is his academic situation needed to be uh, resolved. He had to be 60% toward graduation because he redshirted at San Jose State in 2016, played in 2017-2018 at uh, College of the Canyons. He's got two years of eligibility. This is a speed guy, Rob. Uh, I talked to a coach at the school, and he ran a legitimate 4.31 second 40-yard dash laser timed, uh, which is the fastest they've ever recorded at the school. That's particularly noteworthy because Hollywood Brown also played at College of the Canyons, uh, finishing his career in 2016. He is um, allegedly like a 4.35 type of a guy. They said he ran a 4.33 at the school. He was a first-round draft pick out of Oklahoma, right? So... We're talking about somebody that's immediately going to be one of the fastest players on the roster. Uh, not a big kid. He's 5'10", 167 pounds, give or take. He and fellow newcomer Jack Jones are kind of similarly sized guys. Both of them were uh, immediately thrust into uh, punt return reps with the first team, uh, rotating in and out uh, in, in recent practices, and I think that should boost ASU's return game. I think uh, in the case of, uh, of this newcomer, from College of the Canyons, Brandon Pierce, he is probably best served to be an H receiver in the slot, okay? But ASU needs more help on the perimeter because on the inside they have Kyle Williams there. Uh, of course, they have uh, Ryan Newsom, who's a senior, and then they've been taking looks at Ethan Long, quarterback, who uh, is now migrating into a different role. So uh, I anticipate there's a chance that Brandon Pierce could play initially. It's a game ASU should obviously win and be able to get more rotation of players in. 
probably at the X position backing up uh, the starter, Frank Darby. Yeah, and just with a group that, you know, you just had the loss of John Humphrey transferring out of the program, Jordan Porter dealing with a hamstring still and at least going to miss the first game of the season. It seems like ASU is at least excited and, and happy that they get some reinforcement right away as somebody that could help the, the position group this season, especially when each of the starters are mostly unproven for the most part other than Kyle Williams. I think Brandon Ayuk's listening right now, and he's a little bit disappointed in you, Rob. Um, I think, I think I really, we're going to talk about this in a minute when we get into the depth chart, obviously, but uh, Kyle Williams, two years ago, had 60-some-odd catches and was in the top 10 in the Pac-12, moved him from Z to H. By the way, he could also maybe move outside in the event that uh, Pierce uh, ends up looking good at H position or Ryan Newsom or Ethan Long are doing well. But uh, I, I personally believe that Ayuk is ready to uh, step up and be a 60-plus catch guy in the Pac-12. Um, maybe it was a little bit hard to ascertain in camp because ASU's corners are, are have been doing so good, as we know, right? Uh, Frank Darby's a vertical threat. He's had some injury problems in camp, maybe hasn't been able to round out his game as much as they would like. So I think to that degree, uh, what you're talking about is, is, is somewhat accurate. But I, I do think that their starters overall are pretty good. Right. And we're going to go position by position right now. We're going to start with the offense. Jacob, can you start taking us through the offensive depth chart starting at the quarterback position with Jaden Daniels? Yeah, so Jaden Daniels was named the starting quarterback the Monday after Camp T, the first true freshman quarterback in school history, and he's going to be backed up by a true freshman quarterback. Joey Yellen's going to play behind him, and then Dylan Sterling Cole, the only returning quarterback from 2018, will play the third string. Ethan Long, not so much in that quarterback depth chart anymore, him being somebody that plays a whole bunch of positions, but Daniels the clear starter and has been ever since Camp T came to a close. So guys, do you think Jade and Daniels is going to be the kind of starter that's going to be able to come in right away and actually contribute in, in a very successful way? I mean, I think that the potential is definitely there. Obviously, the highest quarterback signee with ASU uh, in the modern era, in the 247 Sports Composite era. Um, and he's... I mean, as we've reported throughout since he, he got here in the spring, he's undersized. He's put on 15 pounds uh, since arriving on ASU's campus. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the durability is kind of a question mark, whether or not he'll be able to handle uh, taking hits. Um, and that's also going to fall on the offensive line. Obviously, there's been some shift there. So protecting the quarterback. So if he's durable enough, um, Chris has already said, I mean, he is someone who could possibly play at the level that Manny Wilkins did last year as a fifth-year senior. So uh, the, the potential is definitely there. It's just going to be a matter of durability and, and accuracy and all the other good stuff. Right, Mason. And one thing that I've noticed about Jaden Daniels over this last month is, is his poise in the pocket. He's on, only thrown four interceptions since he arrived on campus in January. He's made read well. And Chris, in the last week when we were there in practice, they started throwing some blitz packages at him, and he handled those really well, too. So that's something that stood out to me in these early practices. He has uncommon poise for a true freshman. And granted, when you're not playing tackle football in a practice setting, maybe something is revealed about that when you get into the bullets actually flying around. Uh, to my eye, in, in rarely missing a practice in 15 years, he is easily by far the best freshman quarterback that we've seen at ASU. They've had some other kids in the past who have played and even started games as a true freshman. Jake Plummer comes to mind. Uh, I think there's been five. Even Dylan Sterling Cole started a game at Oregon as a true freshman when they had multiple injuries. But uh, nobody has started the first game and been named the starter at the outset of a season as a true freshman. And I really believe that Jaden Daniels is capable of playing 
at a mid-level in the Pac-12. And, of course, it's going to you know come down to all these variables. A lot of it is how much the talent around him is able to help him and provide and how good your defense is mm-hmm. and how many short fields you get and your special teams. All these variables come into play. And fans shouldn't expect, like, the world, the, the, the first season. You, know, you go back to Jake Plummer, um, he quarterbacked a losing team early on in his career before he became special. And, uh, and all that experience is what enabled that, right? But Jaden Daniels is a tremendous athlete. He's a three-level thrower. He's accurate. He makes good decisions with the ball. Uh, he doesn't take too many risks. And he has an improvisational mm-hmm. beauty to his game that really isn't uh, conveyed in a practice setting. Uh, I, I like him for today's version of college football, the RPO-heavy style uh, he's someone that can challenge first and second level uh, RPO reads. He makes it tough for you to, with the overhang defender or like the outside linebacker player. Are you going to commit that player down into the box? Is that player going to be backed up? It's going to put that person in challenging decisions. And then when the pocket breaks down, he's a thrower. Okay, He's not like a quarterback who when he leaves the pocket, he automatically transitions into being a runner. So he makes defenders guard for a longer period of time on any given play and there's more of a capability to uh, beat opponents when uh, they have to defend longer and you have post route breakdowns and all these other variables so uh, very dynamic uh, very quick very entertaining ASU fans are going to be really really on the edge of their seats watching this guy uh, over the next few years and just one last note about Jane Daniels he he hasn't been turnover prone throughout camp thus far like Trevor mentioned but a couple times the the ASU's defense has been able to mask some of their coverages and drop into zone and he's thrown a couple of interceptions that way so and that's a a credit to ASU's defense at the same time but that some of those mistakes might come from a, a true freshman quarterback yeah but I would what I would say to that point is that's normal. Like in, even your own defense that you go up against all the time, even with a veteran quarterback, sometimes if you have a good defense, and remember ASU's goal is 20 interceptions this year, which would be among the national leaders, something that Danny Gonzalez's teams did at San Diego State, right? So uh, the, the interception percentage overall as a number of his overall throws was actually quite low, and that is continuing from his high school career in which he had a 15 to one touchdown interception ratio over the last two years, which is, uh, that's incredible. That really doesn't happen with anybody. Yeah. It's, it's quite something. And what's interesting to me is I think he's really going to have opportunities this season to show what he's capable of, especially with ASU having this weapon and, you know, Benjamin who just torched defenses last year, that's going to lead us into the running back discussion. Who's going to be behind, Eno Benjamin Jacob and, and what does that group look like right now? Behind you know, I mean, you know, Benjamin is obviously the, the big guy. 1,642 rushing yards last season. It was a massive year, and, and the question this camp and this offseason has been: Who runs behind him? Who who's the backups? And it's kind of between two people at the moment. One of them, AJ Carter, a bigger-bodied back. He's better between the tackles. Is just a kind of a bulldozer running back. And then there's Isaiah Floyd, who was with Arizona State last year. He's better in space. He's got. He's better with which is movement and speed, and he's one of those people that they can use in those situations. So really, it's between the two of them. The most interesting thing, though, that's happened in the last week or so is Elijah Juarez, linebacker, is now working out with the running backs, and he's played a little bit of fullback, H-back, and tight end, and he will stick with the offense this season. And so that will be an interesting development to follow as the season continues. 
We're going to have some predictions about Eno Benjamin and everyone else, but Mason, guys, how, how do you feel about the running backs besides Eno Benjamin, basically? Yeah, I mean, I think ASU has two guys in, in Carter and Floyd who they can use situationally, like like Jacob mentioned. Um, the, the battle for number two, as, as Sean Aguano told us in this last week, is still ongoing, but at the same time, they're, they're, they might not make a number two a complete number two because they're going to want A.J. Carter in certain types of plays. They're going to want Isaiah Floyd in, in other types of plays. So they're going to use them both situationally. I mean, they also have Demetrius Flowers at the same time, probably going to gray shirt. I mean, he's been with the scout team ever since they unveiled the scout team um, in this last Red week. shirt, not gray shirt. Recruiting guy. Yeah, sorry. My, <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, red shirt. I'm getting confused there. But um, So he's been with the scout team lately. I, but I do feel like behind Eno Benjamin, who obviously 300 plus carries last season. The dur- he's very durable, but they're going to want to maybe taper that back, and they want someone to come in who can help with that. Yeah, Mason, and he set a single-season program record for carries last season, so that's something that those backs are going to be able to have to provide. I think it's interesting just the contrast and how this battle has kind of developed at the number two spot. Initially, Rob Likens told us that it was going to be situational between A.J. Carter and Isaiah Floyd, and then Coach Iguana was saying he was looking for a number two guy, but it does seem that it's going to be more of that situational type now and what those players will be able to provide within that. Well, at the end of the day, it's going to be determined largely by who's able to run in between the tackles, right? Isaiah Floyd looked really good in camp last year and in uh, his initial arrival. And Herm Edwards talked a lot about how he was going to be really exciting. But then once they actually put defenders on the field who were trying to tackle him, he went down a lot more easily. And also, he had a tendency to not take the ball where it was designed to go with a lot of the run plays. And coaches have actually gotten on him even still about that in this camp. So I want to see how he's going to handle uh, the 15 extra pounds he's put on his body. Is that going to really change his ability to break tackles? That's where Eno Benjamin excels, obviously, right? A thousand yards after initial contact by a defensive player last year. A.J. Carter had a really good offseason. He dropped a lot of weight. He leaned out. He looks quicker and more explosive. Mm -hmm. Now, he is somewhat of an upright runner, and so that's going to mean that uh, he's going to take a lot of blows probably, but he's a big kid. We'll see how he's able to run through them. When he gets up to speed, he has a gear, but he's more of a put-his-foot-in-the-ground-and-go guy, whereas uh, Floyd is the jitterbug, kind of move around and set up guys Mm -hmm. and and all that stuff. So it's a very big contrast. I do really believe ultimately – that they are going to tailor uh, what they do with their backup to the type of opponent that they're playing. Are you going to load up and be physical in the box? That's more of a, a, uh, a scheme in which you can throw the ball to your backup, try to get them in space. And then uh, if, the, if the middle is a little bit softer, uh, that gives you some different opportunities. And Chris, if you're ASU, do you kind of enjoy the fact that you have two different kind of backup running backs and in a harder runner like A.J. Carter and one that uh, is more of a pass catcher in Floyd who, who can do more in space? Yeah, I think uh, clearly they want to have more options, right? And so this gives them contrasting styles and types right. of players. They practiced last year with the team. Carter didn't play. Uh, and then also what, what, what Rudner alluded to earlier is with Juarez – what does that provide from a, a lead blocking standpoint? Remember, Nick Ralston was good in that role last year, and at times he was a key player mm-hmm. in what enabled you know Benjamin just to to spring some of his big runs, some of the goal line red zone situations. So, are they going to have a reduced capability in that regard this mm-hmm. year? 
or will Juarez or somebody else step up and be able to to fill that role, or will they manufacture yards uh, with other creativity? Mm-hmm. And the good news, just really quick, Rob, for ASU is that both Carter and Floyd set themselves up to be that backup option with with Floyd gaining weight and and putting on more, and then Carter obviously dropping and leaning out in order to to be more serviceable. Right. And at the wide receiver position, we've reported recently how the group has suddenly become more thin with the hamstring injury to Porter, the transfer from John Humphrey recently. Um, Jacob, how is that group shaping up right now? So that has changed a lot over the last couple of days. You already mentioned Humphrey's transferring, Porter's out. Andre Johnson is probably not going to play this year. He's the only scholarship receiver that probably will not see the field. And other than that, it's starting to become clear. So X receiver, Brandon Ayuk is is more than likely to handle the most of the snaps. Brandon Pierce could factor into that situation. We also could see him, like Chris said, when we were talking about Brandon Pierce at the top of the podcast, he could see time in the slot at the H receiver. But at the moment, it's Ayuk and Pierce at the X. Ricky Pearsall could also see time there. At the Z receiver, Frank Darby and Jordan Curley. Frank Darby is going to lead the way. Jordan Curley, freshman, could see time there as well. And then the slot. Kyle Williams will play the slot receiver. Senior Ryan Newsom behind him. And Ethan Long, that was where that situation is a little bit more interesting. Came as a quarterback and now does basically everything else and and made that push into becoming a captain this year. He has seen time as an H receiver, and that could be something interesting to see if they really do give him time during the season there. And some of the freshmen, obviously, that you mentioned, Jacob, that are going to be thrust into roles of at least a little bit of playing time, Curly and Pearsall. Curly really flashed a lot during fall camp as a guy that might be able to handle a heavier workload. Mason, what did you see out of him? Well, I mean, I think he impressed a lot of people um, more so than than maybe expectations were, um, especially uh, Likens said that he's one of the best young receivers that he's he's coached in, uh, in his career. So I think that Curly is a, definitely a, a nice surprise race, considering that the depth has been a lot thinner now with some transfers. And, I mean, sure, they bring Brandon Pearson, but it's nice that they have a young receiving option to get games in. And now, I mean, with this red shirt rule now allowing uh, up to four games for freshmen to play, I expect maybe Pearsall and Andre Johnson to get in at least least four games. Pearsall maybe has a better chance of getting in more than four games, but I still think it's, it's a very nice development for ASU to have a young receiver in Curley to take a lot of the work Yeah, and Curley started to really make an impact in the first week of camp when Frank Darby was limited in 11-on-11s. Mm-hmm. He came out and played Z receiver. I was talking to wide receivers coach Charlie Fisher on Tuesday, and he was saying that Curley could play X and Z. It wouldn't be their preference, but necessarily he could come out there if he needed to. They don't want to give him too much already. But he's impressed from the top of his routes. He's been a really good route runner. I think in the last two things, one, one thing we noticed is that in his intermediate routes, sometimes he'll stop at the ball and not finish all the way through on his route. So that's something he's going to have to develop on. But he's been a surprise for sure in these first couple weeks. So just to alert the, our audience, X is where Jalen Strong played Nikhil Harry. It's usually the boundary side receiver. The ball is going to get there more quickly. Uh, that's where you're going to see back shoulders. That's where the action happens quicker. So imagine if the ball is on the left hash, the receiver is on the left side. The Z receiver is playing in more space. There's bigger concept routes. That's where you see not only field stretching, but double moves like post corner. Jordan Curley, someone who showed a very advanced route running for a true freshman, but part of that is when he's running in space, it's easier than when he's guarded and when some more challenges creep in, uh, as Trevor alluded to. I think ASU starters are going to be quite good. 
actually. Uh, Kyle Williams, he knows all the positions. He's really sound, solid. He's a very good blocker, which is underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Frank Darby, also a very good blocker. We need to see him be more precise as a route runner, uh, getting to his landmarks, being there at the right time, some of the finer details of route running. Uh, Brandon Ayuk last year was first in the Pac-12 in yards after the catch. He has uh, uncommon acceleration for a guy his speed. Uh, someone that I think if he puts together the type of season he's capable of, it could really set him up to be a, an NFL draft pick. Uh, other than those guys, Jordan Porter was looked at as somebody really important entering the season, but the hamstring has been significant enough that it's basically kept him out for all the camp, and he's going to miss a couple games probably, as we, we alluded to earlier. But he's one of the fastest guys on the roster in terms of his long speed, in a guy who's also lanky at six foot one and has mm-hmm. added a lot of size to his body, they could really use him uh, getting healthy and coming in and right. being productive as part of their five, six uh, core receivers. Right. And another group that Herm Edwards says he wants to get more incorporated into the passing game this year, the tight ends. You've got obviously senior senior Tommy Hudson right there. Freshman Nolan Matthews has looked pretty good at times in fall camp. What's that position shaping up to be like? I, you, you talked about who's looked good, and, and we'll go back over that in a second, but I think we should open with Curtis Hodges has not practiced recently. We've seen him in a sling. We've also seen some braces on his legs. He's had health issues. But he probably will not factor in to the tight end conversation in the first couple weeks of the season just due to injuries, and, and we have not seen him practice in quite a few days now. So that is something to follow as as this progresses. But you, you did mention it. Tommy Hudson Sr., he's the number one tight end. He will be out there. In 11 personnel, when the team is in 12 personnel, it will be Matthews. He will be the guy that they're going to go with. They complement each other. Hudson and Matthews do really well. And then Jared Buback will probably back up Tommy Hudson. Yeah, Chris, what do you think realistically we can expect out of this position that over the past two years really hasn't been any factor in the passing game? Well, I'm glad that you added that last caveat because Tommy Hudson's actually one of the better blocking tight ends in the Pac-12 at this point. It's an underappreciated thing. With, I think, just, you know, just the normal average fans who are looking for receptions. And ASU has a rich history of the tight end being a really important position from a receiving threat. Now, the coaches have tried to incorporate a lot more of this capability. It's probably not going to be with Hudson because he just doesn't have as much of that uh, dynamic route running capability. Mm -hmm. That's why they transitioned Curtis Hodges from receiver to tight end, put 10 to 15 pounds on his body so that he can actually be a flexed out option Mm -hmm. who can run the seam and some, some, uh, you know, be red zone target and some of that. Nolan Matthews, from a recruiting standpoint, they added because he is a full service tight end in the way that they probably haven't had completely uh, in recent years going back to like, uh, you know, what they got from uh, Cody Cole and, 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 and Chris Coyle, right? Guys guys mm-hmm. in the early Todd Graham years, and then you go way back to, of course, the Todd Heaps and Zach Millers of the world. I think Nolan Matthews looks good for a freshman. You know, he, he's still learning as a blocker to be more physical, to be more assertive, uh, to understand how to play space and angles. But as uh, Jacob alluded to, when they go to two personnel, I mean, uh, two tight end looks in their 12 personnel sets, they're going to have probably at the outset of the season, Nolan Matthews joining Tom, Tommy Hudson gives them more of a capability, more different things that they could do. They can run slips. 
uh, building off of a lot of their run game stuff where it looks like they're bringing a backside blocker and then that tight end actually slips into the flat. Mm -hmm. They're going to be able to run the seam. They're going to be able to, to run some crossing routes. There's just different things that they're going to be doing. And I think that that's going to help the ASU offense access the middle of the field with different options in a way that could stress defenses a little bit differently this year. And to go along with your point about Hudson being a good blocker and being an important and key player for ASU in their run game, Jared Buback was a guy last year also who was developing more, and you kept mentioning that he was advancing as a blocker and being a more helpful person in the offense, even if he can't catch passes or even if the ball isn't thrown to him significantly. Well, yeah, he, his value really is as a blocker if you have Hudson out of the lineup or you need to just give him a breather, right? Um, he also isn't going to be – he's probably a little bit more rangy than uh, than Hudson is as a receiver, but he's that's not going to be his best attribute. Uh, but he's really improved his physicality and toughness in the last year and also just the technique of being a, a blocker. He was a quarterback in high school, so it really took a few years for this to, to develop. But the for ASU, what the, the, the goal would be is when Tommy Hudson leaves next year that, that you have Buback who can step into that role and you can keep it moving with him, Nolan Matthews, Curtis Hodges, with maybe even a little bit uh, of an improved overall capability at the position. Right, because, I mean, Buback is kind of redundant in the role to Tommy Hudson, but I think that the – I mean, we spoke to all four of AC's tight ends when we were at Camp Tontazona, and that room is very – it's a very cohesive unit right now. They all understand their roles. They're all, uh, I mean, very well inept in their roles. And I think it's important, too, Tommy Hudson has been a great – mentor to Nolan Matthews throughout his time at it. And, and Matthews acknowledges that he, he says Tommy Hudson's like a coach on the field to him. He acknowledges it too. And for, for Matthews to have that kind of mentor in Tommy Hudson has been helpful in his development. And that's what he's told us. What may be a surprise to ASU fans actually is Rob Likens said at the conclusion of Camp T that the tight end group may have been the most consistently good performing of all the offensive positions. So that gives you an indication of where he feels about that group. Now, keep in mind that was before the injury to Hodges and we're not, uh, we haven't received an update about how much time that Hodges is expected to miss. It just looks as though he's not going to probably play in the opener based upon our experience, just given the fact that he's not even uh, dressed for practice a week before that game. And moving from one group that didn't have much success last year, at least pass, uh, catching the ball, to the offensive line that was one of the most successful position groups for ASU last year. This year, you got returners that are seniors. You got a, a lot um, kind of up in the air with the center position. Jacob, what's that position looking like? Uh, for the center position is officially solved. Cade Cody will be the starting center. But the reason Cody is the starting center is kind of the, the whole background as to why there was so much shifting right now directly out of Camp T and into the season, and it all starts with Zach Robertson. He had to step away from the team for personal matters, which forced Cole Cabral, who was supposed to be the starting center, to open 2019 to move from center to left tackle. So he is the starting left tackle for the season. Alex Lasoya will play right guard, left guard, excuse me, and Cade Cody is the starting center. On the right side, that's where there's still a little bit of competition. Right guard is, is to my knowledge at least, and Chris, I'm sure you'll be able to fill in a little bit more, very fluid. It's between Roy Hemsley and Jarrett Bell. Jarrett Bell has dealt with a stinger over the last couple of days and has been out of action. So Roy Hemsley has been taking the majority of the first team reps, but we have seen Jarrett Bell taking a significant number of those first team reps with Roy Hemsley practicing with the second team. And then Stephen Miller will take care of the right tackle position. 
Second team reps, Ladarius Henderson's playing left tackle. Cody Shear is the left guard. Donovan West at center. Spencer Lavelle is the right guard. And Ralph Frias is the right tackle. Chris, how big a development is, is Cade Cody at center compared to what you know ASU expected in, in, in Cole Cabral leading that position? And, and how comfortable do you think Cody can be in that role? Well, first I would like to recommend people read the really good story that Jacob Rudner wrote about Kay Cody and somebody who always was very strong in the weight room but couldn't translate that really to the field. I remember a couple years ago at Camp Tonazona, one of his coaches actually made a remark, and this is paraphrasing, but essentially it was, uh, you're one of the weakest strong guys that I've ever seen. And I hope that Kay Cody doesn't mind me putting that out there, but it's really a sign of how hard that he's worked in a changed approach mm -hmm. in the weight room. Now, Joe Connolly, ASU's strength and conditioning coach in, in his second year, talked to us about a uh, more dynamic approach to lift. So they're actually measuring with this thing called a tendo machine how quickly you actually get the, the, the bar up, okay? It's designed to simulate and represent what actual football is more like with you having to access your power more quickly. And what we saw from Kay Cody in practices in the last few weeks is he's holding his position better mm -hmm. as a pass blocker, and he has a little bit more violence in his hands releasing off the line of scrimmage. And that, that's, that's a major factor, especially when you're going up against a guy like DJ Davidson every day right. who's, who's quite potent in, in those one-on-one -on -one situations. Also, his snapping consistency has been a lot better than Jarrett Bell, who they started out with the ones mm -hmm. for the first several practices, uh, which then enabled Jarrett Bell to go over and compete with Roy Hemsley at the right guard. Uh, Roy Hemsley, as a senior, they're trying to coax more intensity out of. That's, that's a little bit lacking. And Jarrett Bell, he has that, but he doesn't have as much of the technical proficiency yet but you're going to kind of trade that off for somebody who's more willingly physical okay mm -hmm. and and it looked as though in the days prior to Jared Bell being out with the stinger that he was starting to separate a little bit from Roy Hensley at least to, to my eye now there's one other thing that uh, Rudner talked about there that I, I want to sort of expand upon because in just the last practice that we saw Cody Shear was being looked at and right tackle and they, were, they had moved Ralph Frias from right tackle to left guard. And this is that not necessarily an indication of what they're going to do in the event of injuries, but it does convey that they're trying to prepare guys for other roles. Okay, what you have established right now, and this is, I think, important, the top six offensive linemen for ASU without Zach Robertson being included in that is very clear. It's the, the starters, as mentioned, plus Bell, and Hemsley at, at right guard. Those are six, okay? And they're going to be able to configure and move mm -hmm. guys around. If somebody goes out, that's going to include other five of the six, okay? But what happens in the event that two players go down? This is where you actually start to run into some question marks. Who is ASU's seventh offensive lineman? Is that Cody Shear? It looks like that's possible. That's why they're looking at him as a guard and now also as a tackle. Could it possibly be the freshman, Ladarius Henderson, who looked so good early in camp that they elevated him to second team at left tackle in moving Ralph Frias over to compete with Spencer Lovell and others on the right side? Okay, I think it's, I think it's close probably between those two guys. 
Ladarius Henderson to my eye is going to be a very good player at ASU in time. He's added a hundred pounds literally in about 18 or so months. He's just really coming into uh, his body and he's going to get a lot stronger. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he gets ragdolled a little bit. He gets moved around, loses his balance, but his footwork and his technique and his, his, his approach to the position is actually quite good for somebody who's a true freshman. But you know, I, as I've summed up here, the depth at this position group is really a question mark, mm -hmm. and uh, I it doesn't look as good as it did last season mm -hmm. going in. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that Steve Miller has looked pretty good transitioning from guard to tackle, having lost thirty pounds. Uh, it's just it's it's not that Cole Cabral isn't a solid player probably as a left tackle, but we're talking about somebody who was one of the best centers in the country, who's now playing a position where he's probably not you know in that in that uh, type of category right I mean I, I was also just going to add that confidence has been like Chris just mentioned confidence has, has been a problem in that depth conversation behind the starters and and so much so that I was having a conversation with offensive line coach Dave Christensen and he readily was admitting he's not confident in in the group behind the starting lineup I, I asked him very straight up and matter-of-factly somebody goes down, how do you feel? And, and his exact response was, to be perfectly honest with you, not good. You know, he, he was just, he was not confident in, in the people behind the offensive line and the starting six, you know, being Hemsley and Bell that could potentially have that battle at right guard. And closing out on the offense now, what do you guys feel about the offense as a whole? A few thoughts about challenges, strengths, leading into this first game in the season. Well, I mean, I think, like we've mentioned, just the depth overall. Um, this is a team with a very low scholarship count. And I, I think that the offense as a whole, it's going to be reliant on Jaden Daniels' ability. Um, but the players around him and who surround him, uh, the, the, the level of talent that surrounds him. Obviously, Eno Benjamin is going to be Eno Benjamin. The offensive line, the top six, if there's no injuries, this could be a very good unit. But if injuries start piling up, there's going to be a lot of question marks. Yeah, and I just think it's a, a sharp contrast from last year when you look at the defense from last year was the one that's more ex inexperienced, and now it's this year, it's the offensive side of the ball. And a, a really a lot of the things are going to come down to health and how healthy this offensive line is going to be. If Zach Robertson comes back, what's that going to look like? So like Mason said, health is just going to be of the utmost importance here. I, I would say, of course, having talked about the offensive line challenge, that's, that's number one, okay? But they're thin – across the board really on offense wide receiver we alerted to the fact that they have true freshmen that are playing backup roles and at running back even though we kind of like the potential of uh aj carter maybe even isaiah floyd are they going to be ready right. initially is nolan matthews going to be ready initially to play a big role okay and after Jaden daniels i don't really see another quarterback who's going to be able to guide a winning team. I, I just don't see that. And obviously, Jaden Daniels is the, the number one focal point, the, the, the shiny object. That's what everybody's going to be watching to start the season. I totally understand right. that. I personally think he's not going to go out there and, 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 and look out of sorts or be flustered or really have like really super visually identifiable problems. Uh, I wouldn't even necessarily be surprised if he kind of looks – like he's performing not equal to Manny Wilkins because they'll be different types of players, but similar to Manny Wilkins in terms of the overall capability. And that's really saying a lot. 
Uh, and may, maybe that'll be proven untrue, but I, mm. I, he's a pretty special talent. My, my biggest questions and I think areas that, that will tell us what ASU's offense is capable of and can produce this season, offensive line, obviously the biggest one. I think that's going to be so telling for giving Daniels time in the pocket to throw and also allowing Eno Benjamin to be so potent and to have opportunities to, to help ASU in explosive ways, but also the wide receiver group. I'm so curious uh, on how high the ceiling is for guys like Brandon Ayuk and Frank Darby in these starter roles where they're um, expected to be able to produce more than they ever have in their college careers. I, I think they're definitely capable of it, but I'm very curious to see how they can hold up over the season and, and, and what, what the receiver group just tends to start looking like as we get into game weeks and, and just focus on who can compete week in and week out. It's a big test for Rob Likens and the rest of the offensive staff, just given how good they're going to be in spots and, and, and some of these, what some of these challenges really are. Rodner, what do you, what do you think? I mean, it, it's been talked about. I really think that the offensive line is the big question mark coming into the season. Can Cade Cody perform as a starter? He's a fifth-year senior. This is his first time ever in a starter role. And, and can he perform? Can the rest of the offensive line perform? And then the question that we just discussed was if somebody gets hurt, who steps up? Right. Who, who shifts into the starting five offensive lineman and what does that look like when that player does move up into that group so I think that that's like Chris said question mark number one mm-hmm. um, you said about the wide receivers that that's a big question mark as well you know it, it's a thinner group we don't know what's going to happen somebody to look forward to there I really am excited to see what Ethan Long is going to do and how involved he's going to be what role they're going to have him play and then running backs it, how successful right. will Eno be? What are the backups going to do? And then, you know, it, is Juarez's role going to be that Nick Ralston on the field helping Eno Benjamin, you know, with the, with the blocks and, and leading blocks and sealing things off for him? Will that be the case this year, and how often will it happen? Trevor, let's go into the defense, starting with the defensive line. All right, we're going to start with the defensive line. And Danny Gonzalez had said in camp that this is going to be the most rotational of ASU's units. He could see six to seven guys rotating in. And when you start with the defensive ends, you look at George Lee and Jermaine Lolay, guys that came on strong at the end of last season. They started the last couple games and recorded a brunt of those tackles in those games. But a lot of the conversation with the Lions starts with uh, DJ, DJ Davidson, sophomore DJ Davidson. He hurt his ankle in the USC game last year, played eight games, and then that caused a lot of rotation within the defensive line last year. But now Gonzalez has gone as far as to say that he is a more athletic player than Rennell Wren was at the position. So. He's hyped up a lot about this. He said Davidson could move to end two, but that's the, the starting three right there. And then behind them, Michael Matus and Roe Wilkins at end. Matus is a redshirt freshman, had a really impressive offseason, put on 23 pounds, and he's a very good athlete, and now he has that advantage when he's rushing the quarterback. And Roe Wilkins is a graduate transfer from Rice. Um, he was a two-time All-Conference USA honorable mention honoree there. And um, Gonzalez has said that he's really adjusted well to the scheme. And then nose tackle, uh, you look behind Shannon Foreman is there, and also TJ Pesafea. Shannon Foreman could play at nose and defensive end just because of the versatility he has there. And Pesafea, he's a guy who came in too at nose tackle and last week had an interception in 11 on 11, so he's shown some capabilities there as well. What do you guys think that this group is going to be able to do from an explosive standpoint in trying to disrupt plays and giving the secondary a chance, as Danny Gonzalez has said, he feels this group is capable of? I mean, I think they definitely have some weapons and options there, like uh, like Trevor was saying. I mean, Jermaine Lole, uh Danny Gonzalez has said he's going to be, he expects him to be an elite 
linemen in the Pac-12. Um, so, I mean, we saw that kind of at the end of last year. He really came on strong in the last four games. And I think that Michael Matus, like Trevor said, a very impressive offseason, topped our hot 11 in the spring. I think he was second in our hot um, – Pre, mid-camp hot 11. Uh, so he's someone who he's pretty violent off the line of scrimmage. In one-on-ones, he's been extremely impressive. And really, the defensive line overall has been really impressive in one-on-ones against ASU's offensive line throughout the entirety of camp to this point. Um, so I think they have some weapons. They're going to be rotating a lot. Danny Gonzalez has said that. He wants around 40, I think, snaps for, for the defensive line, uh, the starters. So there's going to be a lot of rotation there, and they'll, they'll be able to do some damage. Yeah, and, and that, that was the number he gave out. He said it's 40 snaps. That's the, the goal for the defensive lineman. And then that guy that I've you know been watching and looking forward to seeing play is Jermaine Lolay. He's been talked about as somebody that could be explosive for the Sun Devils this year. He ranked fourth on the team last season in sacks. He had three sacks, totaled up 18 total yards of losses in the sacks alone, and had five total tackles for loss for 20 yards. This is a guy that could be one of those people that does provide that pressure to help the secondary come away and meet that 20 interception goal, which I'm sure we're going to get into in a bit. But this is a key factor to Arizona State's defensive strategy this year. And I think Jermaine Lole is poised for a big season with a big role. What we saw prior to Danny Gonzalez at ASU, especially in uh, those that 2016-2017 period, Todd Graham and, and Phil Bennett, they didn't rotate guys. And ASU ended up being worn out in the fourth quarter with a lot of their starters on the defensive line. And Danny Gonzalez, when he was under Rocky Long at San Diego State, they demonstrated that they were going to play six, seven defensive linemen, that they were going to uh, try to be fresher than their opponents later in games. And this really sets up well for them in that regard this year because their backup players, Michael Matus, Roe Wilkins, by the way, Roe Wilkins could even possibly challenge George Lee, but I expect they're going to split reps. And then uh, Shannon Foreman as a backup is somebody who started before and can play all the positions, as Trevor alluded. But those guys are not going to really be a drop-off. And Michael Matus, to some of the points that were made earlier, he had the most sacks, and he was showing up in the backfield more than anybody else throughout all the camp, even though you know he, he, he did so with probably fewer overall reps than mm -hmm. some of the other guys. And uh, I don't know if DJ Davidson's going to be better, quote-unquote, than Renell Wren, but I think he actually kind of fits what they're trying to do a little bit better. Yeah. And uh, the guy who's really come on in the last week or so is, is TJ Pesafia. He looks like he's going to be able to be really a potent player at some point in time in his ASU career. He's a four-for-three guy out of junior college, and he has really good junior college film. I would urge people to recommend – I'd urge people to go watch it. But uh, he needed to lose weight and get in shape, and, and his body already looks better than it did a month ago. There's going to be some opportunities against some of the pro-style, more, more potent run teams that ASU plays – to go with Pesafea mm -hmm. and DJ Davidson up front mm -hmm. with, next to Roe Wilkins or George Lee or somebody. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty potent uh, uh, front that ASU has to work with. Uh, so they, to me, any concerns that maybe fans had or people had about ASU losing Renell Wren as a fourth-round draft pick in the NFL and what might happen with this group, I really don't think that there's any real concerns uh, at all. 
And Danny Gonzalez has said the same thing. Considering, I mean, in the spring they were working with three to four scholarship right. linemen. Uh, now they have a six to seven rotation, and Danny Gonzalez has said he's not worried about that either. So that's just something to echo as well. And a lot of talent right behind that defensive line with Darian Butler, Merlin Robertson, Kyle Soley, Tyler Johnson. A lot of guys, Danny Gonzalez said he's comfortable playing at linebacker on the field. What does that group look like, Trevor? And you mentioned it, Rob. ASU believes it has five elite linebackers this year. When you look at its top five, Kalen Kirst-Thomas, uh, Darian Butler, Merlin Robertson, Tyler Johnson, and Kyle Soley. Um, they believe they're capable of doing a lot of things. And Merlin Robertson's uh, switched over to middle, line, middle linebacker now, and Darian Butler's going to be out the, on the outside. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Antonio Pierce mentioned to us that was really interesting, he feels that each of these top three linebackers, when you look at Thomas, Butler, and Robertson, has dominated at least one point of ASU's annual cycle. It was Curse Thomas that had a really good spring. Robertson obviously was Pac-12 Defensive Freshman Player of the Year last year. And the Butler, he felt like, has had the best camp. So that's the dynamic there. Tyler Johnson was away from the team for five weeks in the summer. He's kind of worked his way back. He's been absent from a couple practices this week, as well as working um, away from uh, off-season soldier surgery. So he's someone to keep an eye on. And then Kyle Soley, Pierce mentioned, too, that he's a guy, if it was if it was any other team in the Pac-12, he'd be starting at linebacker. And that's how confident he feels about him. Um, outside of those guys, uh, Stanley Lambert is a guy that could be introduced on third down sub-packages and be able to be incorporated there. But that's how the linebacker group is looking right now. And how much firepower do you guys think that group can contain and, and really have and, and help the rest of the defensive line, the secondary? How will that group look? Well, I think, as Trevor mentioned, I mean, Danny Gonzalez said five elite linebackers, so they're obviously really confident in in how that group is looking. Mm-hmm. And in the spring, that's when uh, linebackers coach Antonio Pierce penciled in Kalen Kirst-Thomas as a starter when Tyler Johnson was kind of starting last year, but, okay, Johnson was recovering from, from shoulder surgery away from the team for five weeks. So Danny Gonzalez said he's trying to work him back in, right. not in trouble, more so just out of shape. He's not going to play someone who's out of shape. But they have a lot of good depth there. Um, and I think that this is a, a group that, especially because they've been – having each player switch and learn the three positions, the the middle and the outside, and now that Merlin and Darian are switching, they feel that's better for the the overall continuity of the group. And the rotation there will be really uh, – they'll rotate a lot of guys there as well, and there, there won't be much drop-off. This is not only a group that's expected to – help in the, in the pass rush game, which, which Danny Gonzalez talked about, but he also said that they're expected to very much be a part of this interception goal. He said that last year there were a lot of plays where this linebacking group could have contributed to the interception total. He says that off the top of his head, and this is paraphrasing what he said, but he said that off the top of his head, there were eight or more plays last year mm-hmm. where linebackers could have come away with interceptions. He says if they just ran out the ball, they chased down tip passes. Right. He says those are opportunities for the linebackers to come away with interceptions, and that could be something that we see transition a little bit more this year in, into something that they really try and focus on. So does Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler help play a factor into the interception total? I think they will. I would say to that point, which is a good one, that just moving Merlin Robertson to middle linebacker where he has maybe three to four inches on Darian Butler and then a lot more length, that allows you to get to some balls that you otherwise wouldn't, especially because his drops are probably a little bit better than than Darian Butler. So now uh, in a game of inches, you have probably six inches, a foot, a foot and a half more of getting to places, places, pardon me, that you weren't 
otherwise getting to. Uh, so I do think that with the zone drops, and we saw it in practice, we saw Merlin Robertson get interception. We saw Darian Butler get his hands on the football. We saw even TJ Pesafea drop into a zone uh, look that wasn't anticipated by the quarterback and uh, get an interception. All of that is going to be much more uh, likely to pile up that uh, goal of 20 or more interceptions versus what you're going to get from Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas. And we're going to talk about them later, but it's what those guys provide in man coverage that open up the the floodgate of possibilities for Danny Gonzalez. And, and Chris, do you think this is a year where we can really see Darian Butler and Merlin Robertson take even another step and maybe Robertson with more consistency and Butler just showing why ASU decided to make him a, a second-year captain? Why, why wouldn't we expect that, right? Like those those guys, were not just their first years at ASU, it's their first years in the, the scheme. Their first years playing against you know older, more physical players. Merlin Robertson talked to us a lot about wanting to get better at taking on blocks, shedding blocks, being more physical. Darian Butler is going to be uh, better at, in that regard as well, and and some of the other guys too. I think Kalen Curse Thomas is going to get overlooked a lot. This was a you know four-star guy, at least in my estimation, coming out of high school who has really changed his body in recent years. Right. He has uh, experience practicing inside and outside. He was the MVP of the group in the spring. Let's not overlook the fact that he's capable of playing at a really high level mm -hmm. verse, in a versatile way. Uh, and then Tyler Johnson is someone who maybe was their best pass rusher as a linebacker last season. He's extremely potent physical player at 265 pounds at 6'4". The problems with Johnson, he is first to acknowledge it, are, are self-created. And we haven't seen him at practices the last couple days. And uh, he took a, a five weeks off from the team basically before the start of camp. Didn't practice a lot throughout camp. And part of that maybe is the shoulder injury that he had surgery on that he played through last year. And that is a sign about his toughness that he was able to go out there and play. But but from an everyday habits standpoint and an everyday mentality standpoint, Tyler Johnson needs to take the next step uh -huh. because if he does, this is somebody who has a chance to be uh, a successful player making a lot of money at the NFL level. Right. And Kyle Soley, who has been mentioned here a couple of times, the coaches now feel like he's a solid starting level linebacker. It's just that they have other guys who are also right. uh, entrenched in those roles. But so a position group that Danny Gonzalez said you know, going into this offseason, uh, there was questions about their depth right. and, and, and concerns about where they were at. That really isn't the case at all. And especially when you also factor in Stanley Lambert being probably two months ahead of schedule in the rehab from his ACL, MCL meniscus knee blowout in December. He's somebody that maybe isn't ready to play right now, but in the sub packages, third down pass rusher. I think sooner than later he's going to uh, be able to be on the field if they want to use him there. And a very important position, obviously, for ASU. And last year, Jalen Harvey excelled in it, that Tillman spot. How is that position group looking with Evan Fields and Tyler Wiley, Trevor? Yeah, and Evan Fields is going to start the opener. They uh, ASU feels they do have a capable starter at the position in Tyler Wiley, but Fields was a guy who was almost given the role last year, but then things kind of got out of his way, and he didn't 
for most of the year, but now he will start the opener. And Ashari Crosswell and some of the other guys in that secondary have referred to him, and they've really en uh, enjoyed seeing what he's done from a tackling standpoint this offseason. So he will be there. And then when you move over to the safeties, Ashari Crosswell obviously led the team in interceptions last year with four, but he probably could have had more. There were some mm -hmm. drops that he had, and he worked on that this offseason by going after practice and catching 50 balls from the jugs machine, which is something that Nikhil Harry notably did last year. So that's a way he's looking to improve from that standpoint. At the other Ranger safety position, you have Cam Phillips played in two games last year, had 14 total tackles, and he had an interception in the Oregon game that he was in. So they're liking what they see out of him there. Um, behind those safety positions, Keewon Markham's the guy who's come in, had a couple of interceptions, and has found a way to get his hands on the ball in this last month of preseason camp. And then behind Cam Phillips is Willie Hartz, who mm -hmm. ASU's coaches have really been raving about. Danny right. Gonzalez said that, he feels like that he has the best closing speed on the team. He's really impressed, and uh, uh, ASU defensive backs coach Tony White said he's a guy that could work his way out of the red shirt as well. I think at Tillman specifically, when you're replacing a guy like Jalen Harvey, who tied for second in the teams in tackles last year with Darian Butler, you have a guy in Evan Fields who almost, like Trevor said, had the role last year, but like he said, I didn't. it didn't work out for him. Now this year he kind of comes into this year with a new approach. Mm -hmm. He's looking really good throughout the entire camp. But also Tyler Wiley gets a sixth season of eligibility, and he's able to come back and challenge as well. Because last season he was at the top of our hot 11, Tyler Wiley was, before he suffered that, that ankle foot injury that, that took him out for the entire season. So you have two capable guys, but Evan Fields will be the starter for the opener, and there will be some rotation at that position as well. Danny Gonzalez was talking about how the secondary is going to be, and the success of the secondary is going to determine how he runs his defense. And, and just a couple days ago, he was saying that if Chase Lucas and Kobe Williams can really find themselves early on in the season, and, and that really is right out the gate, then they have an opportunity to run zone defenses more often against tougher teams. So obviously, that's more than likely not going to be Kent State and Sacramento State. But then you go to Michigan State for week three, and Danny Gonzalez was talking about how if the secondary can really lock things down and they can find their way, obviously there's lofty expectations for them this year with the 20 interception goal, mm -hmm. and they are expected to play a key part in getting to that number. But he said that if, if they can find themselves early, then they could start playing a zone defense, which he says is the better way to play defense because you're never outnumbered. You're always matching up correctly when you're in, sorry, excuse me, man defense. And he says that, that, that's my bad, excuse me. He says man defense, if they all find themselves, he says, if you can play a man defense, you're never outnumbered. You always have the right amount of guys on the field and nobody's ever getting beat. So the way that this team is going to find success is if those guys are able to really dial it in early and then they can get comfortable and run man defenses. Chris, how important do you think the guys after Chase Lucas and Kobe Williams are going to be in the secondary specifically to these goals that Danny Gonzalez uh, and Chase Lucas and Kobe Williams are setting for themselves. Corners are the most important position. It, it's it, to be to kind of crystallize what what Jacob was saying there. It's being able to play man on the perimeter, which then enables you to decoy whether what type of look you're going to be using at other places on the field, right? If it looks, then, then it looks like man, but then your corners stay in zone and they, they run a flat route or they throw the ball on a bubble and you intercept it and you're going to the house. Uh, it looks like you're, you're, you're in man, 
but then you you trade off the receiver who goes, you come back and the quarterback doesn't expect it and you, you intercept the ball at linebacker. It is really the unpredictability of whether you're going to be in uh, the look that you appear to be pre-snap or whether you're going to look a certain way but then do something else post-snap. And that's when you really start to mess up with, with what opponents are. Now, I my personal opinion is Tyler Wiley still might be a little bit ahead of Evan Fields at Tillman. We're going to have to see that resolve itself. That's probably going to take several games of guys getting reps and battling and seeing. Ashari Crosswell practiced at Tillman in the spring. He looked great in that role. And that's that's their playmaking position on the defense. They want to make sure that whoever it is, that they're playing at a high level, but Crosswell is going to have to probably stay at range just because they don't have as many ranger options right now who are experienced. Cam Phillips has gotten rave reviews. Uh, remember, he started last year as a true freshman against Oregon, was able to preserve his red shirt. Retro freshman, he's out there. Mm-hmm. And then Kiwan Markham, uh, as was alluded to by Trevor, uh, looks really good. He's somebody who has an Ashari Crosswell sort of uh, uh, feel to him in terms of just – the way he moves out there, uh, some of his skill set, the height, weight, speed package, I think that he's poised to become a really great player. Just is so early on in learning like what he's doing and how to play and all those kinds of things. Overall, Rob, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the signs that really, really tells you that coaches are a lot more confident this year is they're going to p- just probably play left and right with their corners and with their safeties. Yeah. And why is that important? Because in college football, the wider hash marks create opportunities for teams to exploit lack of physicality or lack of speed athleticism range in certain areas of the field. Uh-huh. Okay. So if you have a slower safety who can't cover and handle it you want that guy usually into the boundary okay mm-hmm. think about the way asu's played the position in the past demarius randall was always on the wide side of the field the field side jordan simone type of guy was in the boundary side on the other side of the field well if you love your personnel you're not worried about it because they they can do everything right. all of them so you can keep kobe williams and chase lucas if they're physical playing left and right you can keep a sherry crosswell and camp phillips because they're both able to cover similarly well on left and right and then you're it's easier to get alignment it's easy it's easier to get assignment it's easier to get execution and this secondary is shaping up to be really potent mm-hmm. uh remember when todd graham arrived at asu he inherited a lot of good de- defensive backs guys who were became first and second team all pack 12 players there was a slew of them uh, I mentioned Randall, you had uh, Devaron Carr, you had uh, Asahan Irabor, you had Keelan Johnson, you had Robert Nelson, all first or second team players. I think we are, we are getting to a place where they have a chance to have several guys that also get these sorts of distinctions this year and into next year. Yeah, and guys, just a few thoughts, each of us on the defense and, and, and what we feel about it as a whole. Well, I think that this year's defense will make strides from last season, just considering that last season it was one of the youngest teams overall in the country. Um, They started six true freshmen last year, so just a year's worth of experience in the scheme. Mm -hmm. And now just with more comfortability, like Chris mentioned, playing left to right for the defensive backs is easier. They know their alignments. ASU has had their players learning all the positions in their respective position groups. And so 
everyone's on the same page at this point. I think the defense is what's going to make this ASU team successful and set up opportunities for the offense, especially if they if they hit their goal of 20-plus interceptions for, for the year. And we all hit on it at one point or another, but it's really going to come down to the corners this year and what they're going to be able to do with that added responsibility. Um, when we talked to Chase Lucas last week, he said there were at times last season where he wasn't as dialed in, and we saw that he didn't have a good performance in the Colorado game, the San Diego, the San Diego State game as well. Um, but he feels like he's a lot more dialed in, as does Kobe Williams. And when it comes to that corner position, it's really going to be interesting to see what ASU does with Jack Jones, the USC transfer who's eligible this year. He's been working his way back from the ankle injury. He's gotten more involved in practice in terms of punt return and what he's been able to do. Will he be a guy that can eventually work his way into that number three corner role potentially? Um, he probably won't be as much involved for the first two games, but is a guy that could be back for that Michigan State game. So that's something to watch there as well. I, I want to keep my, my wrap-up of the defense as, as brief as possible, really just to say that I, I firmly believe in putting positive pressure and setting lofty goals on a group to really push them in the right direction. And I think that this is a situation where Danny Gonzalez has done a good job of setting a goal of 20 interceptions that it's a big goal. That's a big number. Three teams last year in college football were able to get to that number, and ASU wants to join that pack this year and, and, again, and again a season where that total of teams might be small. So I think that there are good goals set for this team. I think that they have a really good opportunity to step up, and this should be a big year for ASU defense. Yeah, when you're playing a lot of man coverage, that means guys are, are they're getting tired out there because they're running around the field a lot. And what the ASU coaches told us, especially Tony White, the cornerbacks coach, is when they had DeMonte Casey, who was a, the defensive player of the year, I believe, but certainly an all-whack player at San Diego State multiple times, mm -hmm. he was on a four-play rotation. So he plays four, comes out for two, somebody else goes in, he comes back. At the end of the game, he's played 60-some snaps, maybe 70 snaps instead of 90 snaps in a high-snap game. That's what ASU is trying to accomplish. And maybe it won't be that exact type of rotation, but the goal would be for the Sun Devils to get – uh, to Marcus Davis right. and or Jack Jones on the field in support of Chase Lucas and Kobe Williams in a way that keeps everybody fresh and keeps your backups engaged and prepares those guys for the departure of Kobe Williams after this year and maybe even Chase Lucas if he decides to leave early. I'm not saying that he is. I'm just saying that that's as a coaching staff, you're always trying to prepare for mm -hmm. the, the eventual eventuality of everything. Yeah. And, guys, let's go through the top three and bottom three position groups now. Um, uh, for offense and defense, you pick your top three and your bottom three. Chris, you want to start? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, the running backs is your number one because you know Benjamin should be a first-team all-conference player. Uh, my, number th my number two best position for ASU – uh, is going to be the the let's just say the secondary overall as a whole as opposed to cornerbacks versus safeties etc. I think that overall I think that's a really great group and then the third is maybe going to surprise some people but I actually think the defensive line I think uh, as mentioned earlier in the podcast uh, Jermaine Lole has a chance to be a special player this year uh, uh, DJ Davidson I think he's going to surprise some folks and their overall depth and freshness of that group is going to really propel them forward, in my opinion. Those are my top three. So let's everybody kind of just list their top three, and then we'll go around for the bottom three. Um, my top three, I'm going to start as well, just with the secondary overall, um, the amount of talent they have and the, the rotation that they'll be able to provide within that group. Um, I think ASU is very confident about. Um, at two, I'll go tight end. They've been the most consistent 
and I think that they'll be able to to do some things that might surprise some people in terms of just the underappreciatedness of blocking and then getting uh, more receiving threats as well. And then I'll go running back to three just with Eno Benjamin, that consistency, and then the backups as well. I, I think that I would agree with Chris and say that running back is going to be number one. I think Eno Benjamin had a massive year last year and could do the exact same this year. So running back is the strongest group, in my opinion. Second strongest group, I'm going to go to the linebackers. I think that Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler have an opportunity to expand upon an already very strong year last year. They're only going to get better with experience, and this is going to be their second year in the same scheme. I think linebackers are the second strongest group. And then third, I'm actually going to go to the quarterback. I think that I think that Jaden Daniels has an opportunity to really impress a lot of people quickly and early. I think that that's a strong group. I think that if Jaden Daniels, for whatever reason, has to miss a game, Joey Yellen is more than capable. I think the quarterbacks are the third strongest group. And I'm going to go number one with the secondary. I think, as you guys alluded to, this is a group that set high expectations for this, mm-hmm. themselves this year when it comes to the interception goal and trying to drop their points per game total last year from 25 to 15. That's the group that's going to make it happen, and that'll be what my number one is. And Eno Benjamin at number two, the running backs as a whole, what they're going to be able to provide, I think, in terms of the passing game this mm-hmm. year, if they can get Eno involved more in the passing game and also what A.J. Carter and Isaiah Floyd can do if they get increased repetitions there. And then I think look third at the linebackers, too. It starts um, with Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler. Butler mm-hmm. just got named a captain. These guys were first and second, respectively, on the team in tackles last year. And if they can step up, this is going to be a really potent group as well, especially with the elite depth that the ASU coaches believe they have in it. My group is very similar to Jacobs. I think the running backs are definitely the number one group to follow with, you know, Benjamin. I also just think A.J. Carter and Isaiah Floyd are in much better position than last year to really help out Benjamin, who I think it, it's just tough to assume he's going to have over 1,500 or 1,600 yards like he did last year. He's going to have another great year. I do believe that, but I believe that he's going to have to have more help than he did last year, and I believe he's going to get that. The second group, I'm going to go with the linebackers. I think Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler, Kalen Kirst-Thomas, there, there's so much uh, depth and talent at that position. Um, I think Kyle Soley is more than capable of playing well. Tyler Johnson has shown what he can do when he's healthy. I think that group is going to be one of the stronger groups on the team. And then I'm going to go with the secondary, specifically the corners. Uh, Chase Lucas and Kobe Williams, I think, are finally ready, ready to be uh, one of the most feared tandems um, as a secondary in the Pac-12. All right, now we're going to go bottom three. Chris, your bottom three position groups on ASU. There may be a, a theme that gets noticed from this, but I'm going to say that number one is the offensive line, and that should be alarming to anyone because the offensive line, in my opinion, is the most important group to winning football, uh, or at least as important as anywhere else. I just uh, – the the number of competent players they have is very shallow. That's a problem. You're going to probably have injuries, right? Last year – Casey Tucker goes down, other guys get knocked out for periods of time. Well, then, then what? You know, then then what's your look like? I, I think Cole Cabral is he he's a, you know, he's an average probably Pac-12 left tackle if I'm being honest. But I, I think he's a very good to great center. And now you got K. Cody playing center. I think he's probably done a little better than I anticipated. But what I anticipated was that he wasn't going to be really good enough to be a starter level player. Roy Hemsley. He has been motivated. So number one, offensive line. Number two, I'm going to say the wide receivers. And not because I, I don't think that the starters are good. As I said earlier, I think the starters are actually pretty good. But if you aren't really feeling good about your number four wide receiver, 
who at this point I don't even know really who that is with Jordan Porter on the bench and and Ryan Newsom really hasn't done it at this level and even though Jordan Curley looks good in practice it's still practice for a true freshman so they're going to need a lot from those guys and Frank Darby he's been on the bench a lot in practices so he hasn't probably rarely rounded out his game as much so wide receiver number. and number three I'm going to say actually tight end and that's just because after their starter who I think is a good blocking player I don't really know that they have a group that's going to be among the the top half of the Pac-12 in tight ends when you think about all of the various ways that you can really actually utilize the position. And if they did, uh, you know, by some chance lose Tommy Hudson, I think that would be, you know, a problematic group. No, uh, none of the defensive units. I mean, I'm going to be very fascinated to see if any of you guys put any of the defensive units in the bottom three. But I just don't – I just see that the, the defense is being a strong, good, solid defense. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't anticipate that being the case. So really what then it comes down to, uh, you know, which of the offensive positions you really see being the weaker ones. I agree. I think that, I mean, as we mentioned, this defense is going to be stronger than it was last year, um, just in terms of experience and and being more comfortable, learning all the different various position groups. So none of my three are going to be on defense, but I will also echo Chris with number one being offensive line. Um it was expected that it was going to be a senior-laden group, lots of experienced people in their positions. Okay, Zach Robertson out for personal reasons. It's, it shakes things up. Um, the, the group is now thin on depth, thin on competent players, as Chris said. It's going to be tough if if players go down like if he If he comes year. back, we haven't talked about it. It's actually possible that Zach Robertson could come back. I just think it's less likely than not that he does. And even if he does, he's going to be, be in, in shape. shape. And he it probably wouldn't be in the first few games, so I it's you can't really count on it. Yeah, I mean that's you you exactly you can't count on it. So they're expecting or they're preparing, I should say, for it not to happen. So that's number one. Number two, I'm gonna go uh, just quarterback, not alone on the strength of Jaden Daniels, because like we've mentioned before, special player um, could be at Manny Wilkins level this year. But the depth behind him, if if he is very, he's not. We don't know how durable he's gonna be, especially in his frame as it stands in the Pac-12. Um, I don't know, and I don't believe right now that Joe Yellen is a very serviceable backup to be able to play right away this year. Um, and with Dylan Sterling Cole at, at third string right now, there are some question marks at, at depth there. Um, and then my third is going to be wide receiver as well. I think the starting group is very – it's it's good. Um, could be great depending on how many – I mean, depending on quarterback play and how – that all works out, but as well, like just Chris said, the depth behind the starting three, it's going to be a young group, not a lot of experience, some injuries, so those are my bottom three. My group is the exact same as Chris's. I, I think offensive line is at the top of the list. There's just too many question marks. Cade Cody stepping into a starting role, and, and we don't know how he's really going to translate into game situations. Obviously, that functional strength work in the offseason has been a huge deal, and he's come back looking a lot better uh, functionally. He's been a strong weight room guy, and now that's finally translating to the football field. But there's still so many question marks there. Robertson's out. Cabral has to play left tackle, and obviously that might not be the best situation for him. So so it's just one of those things where they, they're at the top of my list. Wide receiver, basically for the same reason. There's a lot of depth problems. It's a thin group. If, if somebody gets hurt, who steps in? And finally, tight end. It's the exact same thing as what Chris said. I think that, that tight end is an also it's a thin group. If Tommy Hudson goes down, who steps in? 
it, you lose a very good blocker in Tommy Hudson. So O-line, wide receiver, tight end for me. Absolutely. And, and the same thing uh, on my end, what the, the offensive line coming in, this was a really senior laden group and there were a lot of expectations with how they'd be able to protect Jaden Daniels and what they did for Eno Benjamin last year. And a, a lot of those seniors have experience, but back to Kay Cody's point, he's only played eight games in his career. And this is going to be a really big role for him to step into at that starting center spot. And there's just the thought, what if one person goes down, what kind of moving pieces are going to follow throughout? And when I talked to Dave Christensen this week, he said, yes, sir, right now they're going through 10 or 11 guys that they're looking at, but it might end up that he ends up playing just five. Mm -hmm. And the depth is just not where it needs to be with that group right now. Um, second for me would be wide receivers, as you guys alluded to. Those top three are good, but just behind it, it sounds like a lot of things aren't certain as well. In conversations we have with Coach Fisher, he says, okay, Jordan Curley could go play X or Z. Kyle Williams could go play Z where he played in 2017, and he had a really low, uh, low drop rate. He caught 69 of 70 passes that year. So that's something they could do. But then again, it's just more moving pieces, and you don't know where things are going to end up. And my third would be the cornerbacks. And Mason, to echo your point, it's just the fact that Jaden Daniels goes down, you know, if Joey Yellen has to come in, that there's been some things we've noticed in camp when he's in the pocket. Mm -hmm. He kind of has some pitter-patter footwork. Uh, he doesn't look as comfortable. There was those two days where he had two interceptions, a total of four in two days. And then Dylan Sterling Cole, what's been going on with him and his shoulder, that's just another thing to look at, and that's concerning there. Yeah, I would go number one tight ends. I think that is the group that I – it might not be the most important group in terms of other than what they can do blocking, but I don't think there's a ton of capability for that group this year to break out or really show more of a role than it has in the past couple of years. Maybe Nolan Matthews and Jared Buback can, can help the receivings uh, of that group and prove me wrong. I think after that, the offensive line, I'm very curious to see what it's going to look like. I think Cole Cabral not at center could really hurt this team early on. He's not as good a left tackle as a center. Chris has talked about that. That's been widely reported, and it's going to be interesting to see how well he can do in that role early in the season, how Cade Cody can do, how Jared Bell can do as if he's one of the uh, primary guys backing up or starting at that right guard position. I'm curious to see what that unit has. And then I think quarterback position after that, I think Jaden Daniels has a very high ceiling. Um, I think Joey Yellen has a very high ceiling, but I just don't know what to expect from them. And that's why I would say that they're one of the uh, more unproven groups, obviously, but one of the groups that I'd be more concerned about um, if I were ASU. And now, Chris, we're going to go into Picks to Deliver, one of our favorite segments um, from last year. And we only have one pick this week as we're recording this episode on Saturday, August 24th. And it's Arizona, favored by 11.5 points at Hawaii at the Rainbow Warriors. Guys, we're going to go around. We're going to pick overall and against the spread. Chris, let's start with you. Oh, I'm going to go first now? Didn't I go last for the... Yeah, and J Jack and Max always wanted it. you to go first after that. I I'm going to take Arizona to win and Hawaii to cover the 11.5 in a, in a game that probably... Uh, we'll include a lot of points and maybe hit the over. I expect, and this is might be a shot in the dark, but I'm going to go Hawaii to win uh, with Arizona on the road, and I'm that obviously means Hawaii will cover. Wow. Trevor? <laughs> I believe Arizona is going to win. Um, also that Hawaii will cover. I think it's just the fact Arizona is going to have to go through a lot of travel in order to get out there. And then that's a defense that gave up over 32 points per game last year, as Chris alluded to. So just those factors, the travel being the first game of the year, I, I think uh, Hawaii is going to cover. I think Arizona is going to win the game, and I do not think Hawaii is going to cover the spread. Okay, I'm going to go with Arizona to win and to cover the spread. I'm a lone well. warrior. 
That's very funny, Mason. All right, now we're going to each make season <laughs> predictions. Uh, rushing yards and how many for Eno Benjamin this year, guys? Uh, well, I think he's probably not going to get as, quite as many carries this year. I, I, the, uh, it's going to be hard to, to do what he did again. It's just unlikely. Freshman quarterback, teams are going to load the box up. We talked about the offensive line being, in our estimation, one of the shakier position groups on the team going into the season. I didn't use an, an algorithm to reach my Shout out Trevor. <laughs> but, hey, we'll uh, there's somebody at this uh, table who actually did do that, which is a little fascinating to me. Uh, I said, you know, Benjamin's going to have 1,388 rushing yards, which should still be among the best all time by an ASU back. Uh, I think that... As Chris said, you know, I mean, single season program rushing records last year, um, not quite going to be at that level this year, uh, just with some of the question marks that offensive line and everything. But I, at the same time, you know, Benjamin, a thousand yards after initial contact last season. Um, that, I mean, that is super impressive in and of itself. I'm going to go around 1446. I'll open with my prediction. I'm going to say that Eno Benjamin is going to rush for 1,568 yards this season, about 130 per game. And here's the reason why. Last year, he had to play San Diego State and Michigan State in the out-of-conference schedule. And that also came with ASU not necessarily having their run scheme totally down. He didn't really pick up his running game until that Oregon State match where he had 312 rushing yards. From there on out, he had a monster season. The run scheme was locked down. It was over five yards per carry after the Oregon State game. I think that this year, with Eno Benjamin having a scheme that is completely in place, they're going to start from a more competitive standpoint than where they started last year with Eno. I think that Eno is going to have a big season. I think that this is an opportunity, especially to get a really good head start on the rushing yards total in the first two games. Sacramento State allowed the 121st they were ranked 121st out of 124 FCS teams with 266.3 rushing yards allowed per game last year. I think Eno takes it big time in that game. I'm going to go with 1452 out of Eno this year. Pretty close to Mason, but I chose the number first, actually, and Mason knows that. Um, I am a little curious what we're going to see out of A.J. Carter and Isaiah Floyd, but I think that Eno Benjamin will excel again. I just think that he might not have a 300-yard rushing performance like he did against Oregon State. But I do think that did kind of average out a little bit, as Jacob said, with the Michigan State and San Diego State games. Chris, what is your pick for Eno's rushing yards this year? He went first. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Chris went first with that. All right, then we're going to transition. Who will be ASU's? Trevor still needs to go. Oh, Trevor doesn't go. Yes. Oh, You're me. trying to exclude the guy the who's algorithm. got the algorithem. Yeah. What are you doing? I, I thought that he already went with his algorithm. Gee, let's focus over there. No. Okay, so. Who's running this podcast? <laughs> In hindsight, this was probably way too much work in order to put this together. At the moment, I was thinking, how could I make the best educated guess? And it's funny because I didn't like math in high school yet. I went to math in this case and tried to put together an algorithm that consisted of ASU's top rushers over the last five years. And also the drop-off when you look at guys like Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love and Paul Perkins, who led the Pac-12 in rushing before, and what that was like and what that incorporated it, and also in included some stuff with um, the top receivers on those teams. So my algorithm, which I believe is now heavily flawed, um, I think Eno's going to have 1,356 yards on 274 carries this season. I just want to ask you a couple questions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How did you factor in 
the competency of ASU's offensive line in your algorithm, and also uh, the the way defenses will play ASU with a freshman quarterback versus a, a fifth-year senior yeah, starting it, it quarterback. It absolutely didn't happen, which oh, is okay. why it's very flawed. And it went, sti- <laughs> it went from a pure sti- <laughs> it went from a pure statistical standpoint, and uh, it, it probably doesn't work. But you know, we'll we'll see where things end up. We're definitely going to see. <laughs> You'll be looked at as a genius if you're right. Moneyball man. Yeah, we're, okay. we're, we're money balling uh, source. Uh, okay. We this should not, really have been on the premium, Rob. We're going to go on to wide receiver. Rob, why'd you make this a free podcast? Yeah, well, it is a free podcast. So top three wide receivers in what order, guys? Ooh, who's going first? I'll go first. Oh, okay. Uh, I will go Brandon Ayuk at one, Kyle Williams at two, and Frank Darby at three. Okay, I'm going to go Brandon Ayuk at one. I'll go Kyle Williams at two, but I'll hit you with a different one at three. I'll go uh, Jordan Curley at three. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it moving. Man, man. It's your turn. Insert Shock the, some folks. Insert the Dr. Phil gif right there. Oh, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go number one, Brandon Ayuk with, I'm going to even say the number. I'm going to say 68 catches for, rough, for just shy of 1,000 yards. Number two, Kyle Williams. 60-ish catches. And number three, Eno Benjamin with 48 catches. Yeah, I guess we're all a little similar here. I have Brandon Ayuk on my number one, too. I have an algorithm involved for him and how he's going to do. Oh, uh, oh, 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 God. I got a new algorithm for how many stories you're going to write up for, uh, <laughs> on sources here, man. Oh, so, and then Frank Darby at number two. I think he's going to take a step this season, not just be a deep ball guy, a guy that will be more involved in his route running and what he'll be able to do. And then Kyle Williams, a guy that's just been reliable. He's going to be my third guy. And then I think that Kyle Williams leads the way in receptions. Last year, he was second to Nikhil Harry. He had 44 to Nikhil Harry's 73 last year. I think without Nikhil Harry and a thin wide receiver group, Kyle Williams will be able to lead the way in receptions. I'm gonna, I'll also give a number. I think he's going to have 64 receptions. I think behind him, Brandon Do you Brandon have an algorithm Ayuk, for that? No, it was, a, it was completely a guess. I think Brandon Ayuk will be behind him and very close by. I think it's between that 58 to to 61. It could be right there range. And then I also agree. I think I think Eno Benjamin is the third has the third most receptions on the team. Last year he had the third most receptions on the team with 35. I think that he's able to go even higher than 35 this year. I think Eno Benjamin has somewhere in the 45 to 48 reception range, and I think that he does rank third. Okay, and now we're going to go do all-conference players on offense and defense. Who do you guys think they're going to be? All-conference players on offense? Uh, Frank? No, not Frank Darby. Uh, <laughs> Brandon Ayuk will be a second-team all-conference player. Uh, Cole Cabral, because people are going to kind of build in his experience and factor you get kind of a boost for that i'm going to say he's second team and you know benjamin first team and that's it on offense i'm going to go with the exact same i'll elevate brandon Ayuk to first team and i'll have you know benjamin on the first team and i'm not going to go into honor honorable mentions that's too much but i'll keep cole Cabral on the second team as well my, my expectations were the exact same for the offense so i can't change much there and then no I, algorithm change right there. No algorithms. Yeah, and then my non-algorithmic prediction is that Cole Cabral's on the second team. I think that Eno Benjamin is a, a first-team running back, and that's 
that that should be pretty easy for him to attain. And then I, I think that Kyle Williams sneaks into the second team. He was my he was my prediction to have more receptions this year than Brandon Ayuk, and I think that for that reason he's he might actually have a better season. I think that he's going to be looked to a little bit more. I think Kyle Williams sneaks on the second team. So Cole Cabral and Kyle Williams second team. You know Benjamin first team. All right, leader in tackles, sacks, and tackles for losses. We didn't pick all the all. Three. We didn't pick the all conference defensive players. Are we doing that, Rob? We're gonna do that after because you guys all did your offense. Okay. Interesting flow. Okay, Rob. Uh, we can go defense if you'd like. Right. Yeah, now. let's do all defense. Right, let's do defense all conference players. Um, Kobe Williams second team, Ashari Crosswell second team, Merlin Robertson second team, Jermaine Lole second team. No first team. I'm going to go with Merlin Robertson, first team. Darian Butler, Jermaine Lole, second team. I think Kobe Williams could be first team and Chase Lucas, second team. I'm going to go Jermaine Lole, first team, as well as uh, Merlin Robertson, first team, just because coming off freshman defensive freshman of the year last year, that experience factor and people kind of like him. Um, and then I'll go uh, Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas, second team as well. For mine, I have Merlin Robertson on the first team, uh, Ashari Crosswell on the second team, and I, I, I don't. You guys didn't refer to honorable mention or beyond that list, but I put Kobe Williams and Darian Butler there. And then I think that second team, Ashari Croswell, Jermaine Lole, and Darian Butler on the second team, and I think Merlin Robertson is the only first team defensive member from ASU's team. Okay, I forgot to add Crosswell to my second team. Yeah, well. I, I forgot to add Crosswell yeah, to my put, second team as yeah. well. That would have been definitely will put. Yeah, you, guys, I, I think he, you guys better fix your algorithms. Be first definitely team, fixing that. Um, all right, leaders in tackles, sacks, and now tackles for losses. If we're ready, if you guys are ready for that, tackle leaders will be uh, Merlin Robertson, followed by Darian Butler, followed by Tyler Wiley. How about that? Uh, tackles for loss leaders. Jermaine Lole, followed by Merlin Robertson, and followed by Tyler Johnson. Sack leaders. Jermaine Lole, followed by Tyler Johnson, followed by Merlin Robertson. Okay, should we all go three? Okay. Um, I don't uh, know if I'm going three. Yeah, I'll, I'll try it. Uh, leaders and tackles, I'm going to go Merlin Robertson, uh, Darian Butler, and I'm also going to go with Tyler Wiley. I think that he's going to have a very big year. I think he has a, a good chance to do so. Um, Sacks, I'm going to go with number one, Jermaine Lole. Number two, I'm going to pick DJ Davidson. And number three, I'm going to go with Merlin Robertson, actually, on sacks. And tackles for loss, I'm going to go one, Jermaine Lole, two, Davidson, and three, George Lee. All defensive line. And then starting with tackles, I think Merlin Robertson leads the way again, backed up by Darian Butler, second straight year. I think Evan Fields is third in tackles. And I think that for the same reasons why people would have picked Tyler Wiley, I'm going to go with Evan Fields. Um, Sacks, I think Lole leads the team. Darian Butler is second and Merlin Robertson third. Tackles for loss, Darian Butler leads the way on my list. Merlin Robertson second and Chase Lucas third. For tackles, I'll go Merlin Robertson, followed by Tyler Wiley, followed by Darian Butler. And for tackles for loss, I like Jermaine Lole at one. I'm going to put um, – it's tough. I like 
Ro Wilkins, but I also like DJ Davidson. So one of the two at two, and then one of the one of those two at three. Go ahead. Okay, and then sax. Uh, I'm gonna kind of base this off like playing sax per playing time because I want Matus in there. Um, he's been in the backfield for a majority of camp, for most out of any player really. And then I'm gonna put Darian Butler and Merlin Robertson as passers. Wait, Michael Matus is gonna lead the team in sacks per per like amount of playing time. I, sacks per I think that's probably time. true. I actually what I was gonna say is. The one thing that we probably messed up, if nobody included Matus, is that Matus should have been in there by by some people. I he could easily be that. in the top three in sacks and or tackles for loss. It's just a matter of whether or not they give him enough reps. Because he's been in the backfield on, on a lot of his reps, so I think per amount of playing time per snap, he's gonna have a lot of opportunities. There. Okay, Rob, what else we got? All right, last one. Who will lead ASU in interceptions? I'm gonna go with Ashari Crosswell. Ashari Crosswell followed by Tyler Wiley. I went with Ashari Crosswell also. Ashari Crosswell. How many is he going to get for everybody? Eight. Six. And seven. A lot, I, feel I like. say seven also. I, I actually don't have Ashari Crosswell at the top. I, I have Chase Lucas. I think Chase Lucas leads the team in interceptions. That's my... my You're not going to target him. I think... No. I, that's the dumbest thing that anybody said on the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> you did not have an algorithm he for that not. one. <laughs> yeah, I'm just... It, you know, honestly, I mean, I guess it possibly could. It's just the only reason I say that. I love that. The when, freshman when you, on the pod. Well, when you play so much man coverage, it's hard with your back to the football to get a lot of takeaways, and when which he probably would end up having to do. Not not a slight whatsoever to Chase Lucas, who I could easily see being good enough to be a, a you know an, an honorable mention or a second team All League player. And a guy that I've said repeatedly is is has the potential to be uh, a pretty good NFL draft pick. All right, truth in the booth. Who you got? Did you say Crosswell? Crosswell Did he say seven. Crosswell? Wow, I Crosswell somebody's seven. really paying attention to what everyone's <laughs> doing today. Okay. Okay, um, now we're going to I went go. too, Rob, by the way. I, no, thank okay. you very much for telling me. Uh, record predictions, your three most likely, and this is uh, In order. as request by Chris, three most likely overall uh, record predictions. I'm going to go last on this one. Okay. Mason, you or Rudner, you all can start. Uh, I'll lead it off. I haven't let anything off yet, so I'll, I'll take it this one. <laughs> Overall record, I think most likely eight and four. I think that they lose to Michigan State, Washington State, Utah, and Oregon, the the four toughest teams arguably on their slate this year. And I think that they are able to to pick up wins and everything else. So eight and four is my most likely record. Seven and five is the second most likely record. It, one loss could be tossed in somewhere throughout the schedule. It could be against U of A at the end of the season. It could be somewhere else throughout. Colorado could be a loss. I think that seven and five is the second most likely, and then splitting it even. I think six and six is my third most likely record. I'm going to go seven and five as the most likely, eight and four as the second most likely, and six and six third most likely. That was exactly mine. Same way. I'll go eight and four to top it out. They have the potential to possibly go five and zero oh in their first five games. Um, so I'm gonna go eight and four in number one. I'll go five and seven at three because I skipped number two. I'm going six and six at two. Um, that just a, a quick tiny note. That five and zero oh thought that could be like when Jack said that ASU basketball uh, would sweep <laughs> every remaining road game for like the final five. Yeah, I, I didn't say it was likely. I said it does have the potential yeah. happening with the I, and I, stronger I possibility of going four and one with a loss to Michigan State. Yeah, I think the the, the first five is essential because if if they do anything less than four and one in the first five, sets up badly. They're 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 headed for some questions about bowl eligibility going into November. Um, 
I, I think seven and five is the most likely record, followed by eight and four. But I'm going to actually, I've been going back and forth on the third most likely, and I'm actually going to say that nine and three is more likely than than six and six. And the reason I say that is because confident teams tend to overachieve, and the the schedule does set up early well for them to possibly be four and one, in which case you're kind of just feeling great about yourselves. And then Jaden Daniels can maybe get into a rhythm in a way that sort of mitigates some of their offensive line challenges. And uh, I think that this team of any of the recent ASU teams has a chance to go on a roll. I think people saw that Kirk Herbstreit picked ASU to win the South. It's not like I think that he has some like magic, you know, ability over, over anybody else, but it would take probably a nine and three type of result for that to happen. And I really actually think it's possible. I think the South is, is for the taking this year. Okay. Well, that's going to wrap up this season preview podcast. Um, important to know that this kind of analysis we normally provide on the premium podcast, and we're going to have one of those premium podcasts on Tuesday previewing Kent State uh, in full, uh, complete analysis on Tuesday, the game on Thursday. So be tuned and ready for that. Chris, you got anything to wrap this up? Well, I just want to say for the people who love our free podcast, we typically have two p- weekly podcasts. One is free that takes a, a, a look back at ASU's most recent game. Mm-hmm. And everybody here kind of probably knows about those. It's a, kind of a really deep dive on it. And then we have one that's really forward-looking about the next opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond, beyond that, Clearly, we don't just like hop out and then just do all this analysis, right? We have every single day a ton of content and perspective on the site. And if you like what you're getting from the podcast, you really should make sure to check out sundevilsource.com on a regular basis because uh, we do this analysis in in written format Mm -hmm. and just – I think we're at the cutting edge of the news and perspective on what's going on with this program. We also, by the way, have easily and by far the largest – uh, community that's a, a member-based community, uh, you know, well over a million page views every month mm-hmm. in, in our in our Devil Sanctuary, which uh, I'm really proud of. So appreciate everybody listening, mm-hmm. and we're really excited about the season ahead and covering it to the best of our ability. That's going to do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For reporters Mason Kerr and Trevor Booth, Jacob Rudner, and site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.